we have the book of Ephesians before us. We want to open up the word of God. We want to begin to read some of the verses and get into this first study called the royalty of every believer in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Let's pray. Father, set before us is your word. Thank you, Lord, that you gave this word after your ministry. Maybe in the in 60, 64 AD, whatever it was, you gave that word, and that word is still given to us today. It is that holy word. It is that saved word. It is that preserved word. It is the living word. It is life. And I pray, God, that nothing would keep us from receiving your word with graciousness and with joy and to be able to be built up and to be directed and to be renewed in our hope. I pray for your blessing now on this Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I stated it, this epistle may have been written around 64 A.D. Not certain exactly, but that just seems to be the time. Remember Jesus Christ rose from the dead, say roughly around 33 A.D., so it's been about 30 years. The book of Acts really moves over a period of about 30 years in terms of what's placed in the book of Acts, but we're still living in the reality of the book of Acts, right? Because we wait upon the Holy Spirit of God. We're filled with the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the gospel message. We've been commissioned. We've been blessed. We've been ordained. We've been called to be as ambassadors to bring that gospel out. This book, the book of Ephesians, it was written while Paul was in prison. Four epistles are written while he's in prison. This book is interesting. There's various ways that people look at it as they divide it all up and to kind of present it. It's six chapters long. Many say you can divide it in half. The, the first three chapters have to do with the doctrine and the last three, the duty or our response that we have. Um, some say you sit, you walk, and then you battle because that's the way it's divided up. But we're going to look right now at this, at the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Again, going back to chapter 1 and in verse 1, we see that Paul knows who he is. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it's by the will of God. Many of us struggle with what is God's will for our lives? What is God's will for my life? We have all said that at many different times, and maybe right now you're at that specific place. And maybe sometimes in your thinking regarding the will of God, you may think that if you're in ministry like I'm involved in, some may call it full-time ministry, that that is more of the will of God than anything else. Or that's the highest calling. I would like to present to you something to think about. I think the highest calling is God's calling for your life and you being faithful to that calling. The highest calling for your life 
is to follow the leading of Jesus Christ into whatever area he leads you in, using whatever gift that he's given to you to use. That's the highest calling for your life, that you'd be in the will of God and not to minimize what your position is or isn't. If where you're at is where God wants you to be, then if you do what God's called you to do wholeheartedly, you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. So for me, I'm a pastor teacher by the will of God, but I'm also a husband and a father by the will of God. It doesn't matter if you're a homemaker. By the will of God, that is a wonderful place to be or some other career or as a student. The point is, is Paul is saying, this is where God has brought me and I'm walking in his will for my life. Now, many times we're in a place, but we're looking for a new direction. What's God's next will for my life? And we're in a sense, it's a bit mystical to us. It's somewhat exciting because we don't know necessarily what's going to open up. God will open it up, but can I bring you back down to reality, which is, I believe, as we're looking at the book of Acts and we're seeing these men and women, they just were wholeheartedly about what God had called them to do in the present tense. And as we're serving God, he will open up other doors. He will direct us. But to set your sight on something as though I'm living in this realm right now, which is far less than I think I should be doing or should be serving, it's a mistake. I think we bring our heart before the Lord and say, this is where you have me. And even though there's more stuff inside of me that I want to see you work out, there's, there's ways, Lord, that I want to be used by you. Evidently, Lord, you're in charge, and evidently you're using this time to better train me, for me to better hear your voice, for me to be faithful at what I'm doing, for me to be thankful in what I'm doing, for me to trust you in what I'm doing. And if you open up a door, I'll be willing to walk through it better prepared and all the more ready for what you have for me. Amen? And I think just being blessed by where you're at. Now, if you're living outside of the will of God, in other words, if you're living a disobedient life and you know it, it's contrary to the word of God. As we said on Sunday, repent. Follow the Lord. Repent and make that difference. As a matter of fact, this church at Ephesus, if in fact it was started on Paul's missionary journey around 64 AD in that time frame, what a blessing that is. And as Paul would go back, we would learn in Acts 20 how much love that he had for that church. In Acts 20, this church at Ephesus, as they gathered together, as it was an established church, as you know, the leadership over that church, obviously having Paul and other leaders involved in that. In Acts chapter 20, there's a message that he gives to the elders in Acts chapter 20. And it says in verse 19, as Paul's exhorting them, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God, faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, and see how I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. 
But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day, listen, that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Paul says, this church that was established, I've been here. Paul stayed longer than any other church. He stayed ministering in Ephesus for about three years, building up that body of believers. And then on this journey and realizing this is the last time with these leaders. His heart is broken. But he says, I did my job. What was his job? What is the job of every pastor? It is to bring the word of God. If we do not bring the word of God, then the blood is on us. But if we bring the word of God, the counsel of God, then it's not. The responsibility has been brought forward through the teaching of the word of God. And and he says, take heed. And with all of this work and with all of this ministry, and with his leadership, he's telling them, Therefore, watch in verse 31 and remember for three years, I didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears because he tells them that there's going to be wolves that are going to come in and take advantage of you and take you down. Can you believe that? He's saying that that's happened. Do you think it's any different for us? Do you think the day that we live in, it's any different? As a matter of fact, It's interesting if you follow this through because the church at Ephesus, so established through Paul, missionary journeys, comes back, stays three years. He's going to depart. His death is at hand. He's not coming back there. He says, I gave it all. I gave my life. I love you. And you know I can continue to stay here, but I'm not going to. And you know that the Spirit said that what awaits me is more trials and tribulations, but I'm going because it's God's will and his way. But I'm leaving with clear conscience because you have the word of God. But if you don't stay in the word of God, the wolves are waiting to take advantage of you. Take heed. Listen up. Stay strong. Well, in the book of Revelation, which is probably written, and there's some conversation about that. I believe it was written probably in the 90s by John, the apostle, island of Patmos, given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's 30 more years. So if you're staying with me on a timeline, Acts comes, we're in 60 or so AD. It's been 30 years or so. And you see what Paul's saying, church at Ephesus. I mean, you've got the dynamite teachers that are there. Paul's leaving 30 more years. And on the island of Patmos, there's a message for the church at Ephesus from Jesus. And he says, guess what? You left your first love. Repent and return back. That's the church that gets the first message in chapter 2 of Revelation from Jesus, this church here. So if you look at it, what happens from one generation to the next generation? And so therefore, in our thinking right now, when we bring exhortation regarding our children and regard the ministry to our children, regarding what's ahead, in one generation, you left it. Jesus never left. You left. And you're performing with your works, but there's no love. 
A lot of motion, but no emotion. A lot of mechanics, but no infilling of the Holy Spirit and being led that quick. And I think if we examine our history with the Lord, we can see the reality of this. We were talking earlier, just thinking of what is going on in the realm of Christianity. And we covered so much of that as we went through Galatians. And Paul is helping us, and he's bringing this message to us. By the way, the church at Ephesus, according to biblical history, tells us that John the Apostle was the one that went to Ephesus and was their teacher in Ephesus. Can you imagine a work that was started by Paul, grounded in Paul, and then you have John coming at the end of his life, maybe after Patmos, maybe after that time? And that's why John is called the Apostle of Love, because when you read First John and he's ministering there, if he was at Ephesus, it's all about love and how he would know the love of Jesus. It was his head that was on the chest of Jesus. It was him at the cross. It's him that is left after everyone else has been martyred and taken off of the scene. He's the last one, and he's telling the church at Ephesus, beware. Beware, beware. So back into Ephesians chapter 1, let's get into these blessings in Christ. He's telling us that the saints who are, a saint is not somebody that's canonized after their death because good things are recognized, maybe miraculous things in their life. That's wrong. Any icon on a dashboard that you pray to, I wouldn't be doing that. We pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls us as believers, saints. Even though we don't feel so saintly, we're called saints. What a blessing. Grace and peace, we know from our other epistles, they follow that order. Always grace, then peace. But if you look at your handout sheet, this message right in here from Ephesians can bring about tremendous growth and wonderful healing to our lives. If you think about your life, my life, other people's lives, when we're talking with people, they're feeling pretty beat up in this world. They have maybe not a correct understanding of who God is, what the relationship is with God. There's broken relationships within the family of God. There's broken relationships in human relationships and family and work and place and all sorts of things. But if we can just step through these next verses, let's see what are the blessings for us today. Number one, if you look... In verse, uh, we'll look at verse 3, following it through. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. So, for example, I'm going to probably do a different illustration on Sunday, but I was hoping to cut out a little figure of a person. So a stick figure of a person right here. And so this stick figure of a person, they're a person in the world. And in the world, they're going to be subjected to all the things of the world. So this little stick person, when we come to Christ, Jesus Christ is the word. So the stick person now is in Christ. Okay? And will he be in Christ? Will she be in Christ the rest of their life? Their life is hidden in Christ. Is that not correct? So I'm trying to bring an illustration for us to think this through. I used to be in the world. I've been delivered from my relationship with the world. My life is now in Christ. The Bible says I'm hidden in Christ. 
The Lord says that where I am, there you'll be. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So I have this relationship that is in Christ. So all the blessings in Christ are mine because I'm in Christ. All the blessings of Jesus Christ are ours because we're in Jesus Christ. This is the best place to be, to be in Christ. Do you follow me? You can just keep that in your mind. Let's walk through this. As you'll see, the first thing is, is that he chose us in him. Have you ever been in a place where they're picking sides or teams and basically the best athletes are going to be picked first and it's an strangely and very difficultly, difficultly could be, that's a different word, it's a difficult word, but you can be very intimidated because you know you're not going to get picked first, second, third, or fourth. As a matter of fact, you're going to probably be picked last. And it just is works you over when you think about that. Certainly it works my pride over for that. Usually I just say, I need to go get something, guys, I'll be back because I know I'll be the last one. And it just takes the, it's, it takes the pain away a little bit, okay? So, but when we look at, look at this, we realize that the God of the whole universe is going to choose me and choose you, not based on my performance, but based on his love. It has nothing to do. As a matter of fact, if it was based on performance, we're in trouble. Because what's important to see is this. Read verse 4. As he chose us in him, when? Before what? Read it. Before what? Before the foundation of the world. So if you would, in your Bible, turn to the very front, very first book of the Bible, which is what? Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Okay, let's read chapter 1 out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Read it one more time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now turn back to Ephesians. God chose me before Genesis 1. Do you ever think of that? Is that right? Is that true? Before the foundation of the world. So Genesis 1, he already chose me before Genesis 1, 1. Do you love the Lord just a little bit? In other words, what we're seeing is how great our God is. How awesome he is. Pastor, do you believe in election? Absolutely. It's in the Bible. Do you believe in predestination? Of course, it's in the Bible. Do you believe in free will? Absolutely, it's in the Bible. Do you believe in human responsibility, which fits in with free will? Absolutely, it's in the Bible. Can you spend some time explaining those? Absolutely not. Because they're all working. It's all working. But the problem is, is when we try to dissect all of that and part it all out and try to figure it all out, we're in trouble. Just like none of us were there when God made the world. But he made it. He spoke it into existence. He made it from nothing. So when we look at this, all of a sudden, when we're feeling in this world like this world is coming in on us, wait a minute, before Genesis 1-1, God was thinking about me. God knew me. God wanted me. God chose me. Well, wait a minute. How do you know that God chose you? Well, the question is, have you responded to the love of Jesus Christ? 
Well, if I respond to the love of Jesus Christ, then did he choose me? Well, he chose you before the foundation of the world. And it's his grace that is preparing our hearts for him. Well, is his grace so overwhelming that I have no choice? No, you have a choice in the matter. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, then, pastor, I need to know something. Do you believe that everybody in this world, that is in this world, has an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ and his salvation? Absolutely. Do you believe that the blood that Christ shed on the cross was only for those that were going to be saved, or was it for the entire world? It's for the entire world. That's what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. It's what the Bible said. It's not limited. It's unlimited atonement. It's for the whole world. And if it wasn't for the whole world, then you need to think about things you do. So when a family member comes over to your house and your children say, should we pray for my cousin, Johnny? Then you would have to honestly say to your little child, we're not so certain that God loves him enough to save him and send him to heaven. We don't know. That's what you honestly would have to say if you want to carry that out. But what a great joy to say, you know what? We've been praying because God loves him. God wants him to know his love, and his forgiveness. Absolutely. Well, these are areas that are huge conflicts within the body of Christ. What do you think about them? I just love God's word. In other words, these relationships that we see in terms of relationship with election and predestination, called, chosen, responsibility, it's all working. They're all friends. I'm not going to unfriend them. They're all friends working together at the same time. And we don't have the capacity to figure it out. It's working. So look at this. Chosen before Genesis 1, 1. Amen. Chosen from, for the foundations of the world. Look that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. Now, how nice is that verse when we just saw in Galatians 5 that the liberty that we've been saved with is to love others. You see how it comes out? It's not to be self-serving, but it's to love others. And to love others in a way that we're not catering to our carnal sins anymore because we're to be holy and without blame before him in love. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us. And again, if you look at your handout sheet to see he has predestined us in verse 5. If you have your Bibles open, I think most of you do. If you turn to the left to John chapter 6, this is a wonderful illustration because people talk about being predestined and having free will or human responsibility, can that really be happening? Well, I love what Jesus has to say in John 6, 37. Because in John 6, 37, Jesus speaking says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So we have God drawing and people coming. You see it taking place in one verse. So in a sense of predestination, human responsibility, chosen, called, elected, it's happening just in that one verse, if you look at it. Also, 
We notice in John chapter 15 about the vine and bearing fruit, very important chapter. But in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And these things I command you, that you love one another. Again, we see these working in the scriptures. They're alive. It's happening. God is at work. What we can be confident in is the Bible says, whosoever believes. It's the invitation to have this relationship with God. I can say with great confidence to anybody, to anybody, these truths. Let's break it back down for one second. A great illustration. Say that you bring one of your friends here. Your friend has yet to know the love of God for salvation. They're not saved. God's been working into their life, into their heart. And you bring them. We have a chance to talk a little bit afterwards. And their heart seems prepared for Jesus. Well, for those that choose to believe that God has limited atonement, only those who've been called and chosen does his atonement apply to and not the whole world would have a great problem at this point. Again, whatever position you hold, be honest to your position. If you hold that position, hold it 100%. Because with 100% honesty, that person that comes in, you would say, I'm not certain whether... God has called you to himself. I know that you're sad, but I'm not certain whether God has called you, whether you're one of the called or elected. I'm not certain if that's true or not. But I'll do my best to see if I can bring biblical truth to you. Are you following me on this? Where for me, it's absolutely, I take God at his word right here. And again, the other position would say, we also take God at their word, and I understand that. But you need to know, where your pastor's at, where your ministry's at. So I just say with great delight, I am so glad that you're here. God's been working in your life. He's calling you to himself. God loves you. God has chosen you. God's been thinking about you before you even knew him. Because the Bible says before the foundations of the world, he's calling you to himself. You're significant to him. He loves you. His eyes have always been upon you. They're, they're, It says that his thoughts towards us are more than the sand of the sea. I'm so glad you're here. He loves you. Unlike the broken relationships that brought you to this place, God has never stopped loving you. And he's calling you to himself. And what's happened is sin has overruled your life, overwhelmed you. And we want to present to you these truths about God has made a way to forgive your sin and to take the burden of sin away from you. Would you like to hear about Jesus? Would you like to be forgiven for your sins? Would you like to have the hope of heaven? Would you like to have assurance for this life and for eternity? I like that. Do you? Because that I'm, I'm absolutely 100% following what's in my heart from the Word of God. No hesitation. Believe it wholeheartedly. You say, great. But what if they say, thanks, good presentation, not interested. I say, that's all right, because God's word doesn't return void. And I'm committed to continuing to pray for you. It's not my job. I save no one. God saves people. But God is making himself known to you today. 
And you will see as a reality of your rejection of him, you will be experiencing things that are not going to be real enjoyable. God's calling you to himself because this world isn't going to provide what you're looking for. But Jesus will. And we're available to help you. Maybe today's not the day that you're responding, but it's the day that we continue to pray for you because we love you. And it's, again, it's in the Lord's hands. It's in the Lord's hands completely. You follow. Okay, let's look here. So we're looking at these blessings. We've been chosen, being predestined, and then we see we've been adopted as sons, and how nice it is for the Lord to put this in. In other words, as people to feel like, I'm, am I really a part Am I really a part of the family of God? Am I really a part of this? You said that I'm in Christ. Am I really? Because those that receive an inheritance have to be a part of the family, for the most part, to receive the inheritance. And that's why he puts in here, look, you're adopted. You're in the family. You're sons. He writes it in here. We've been adopted. And then he says, your name, by the way, is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're in. We're in Christ. You're kidding. No, totally. This is what the scripture says. We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've been uh, adopted. Now look at verse 6. And it says, To the praise of his glory, of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved. You know, you never feel like you measure up. You never feel like you're good enough. You go through these cycles of of torment inside and in other relationships. So not only does he say you're chosen, predestined, and adopted, but the next one is that you're accepted in the beloved. So it doesn't mean that God has a good day and he wants you to feel accepted and you got to wait depending on your performance tomorrow. He says you're in, you're accepted in the beloved, in Christ. You're a part of what's going on in Christ. And all of this has to do with the plan of the Father, God's plan for us. And now we're going to be looking at what Jesus has done. Look again in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, In him we have, and there's two things, we have redemption, and that's through his blood. So how are we saved? Some people say we're saved by God's love. No, we know that God loved us, but we're not saved by his love. He does love us, but we're not saved by his love. Because God has always loved us, because God is love. But that didn't provide salvation. Salvation comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood atonement for our sins. There's churches that will not preach this. I'm serious. They will not preach salvation by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. There's no salvation without the sacrifice of his blood. The blood of our Savior for our sins. It's called propitiation. Big word. It means it was a satisfying offering acceptable for our salvation through his blood. When I used to minister at the retirement home on Sundays and they would select their hymns, there was a hymn book. They always wanted one of the hymns to be about the blood of Jesus Christ. It's as though they never had a service or it didn't count unless it talked about the blood of Jesus Christ. And it never really strengthened my heart, that truth, until I saw how much it strengthened them, how much joy that truth brought to them. I felt very shallow prior to seeing their understanding and their love for Jesus because his blood was shed for them. And it really helped my heart 
in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, we see the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And so, again, his grace is working to forgive our sins, all of our sins. So it says in the scriptures, as far as the east is from the west. Now, it puts that in Psalms, and it's been pointed out to me that the reason the east is from the west, my understanding is if you head west, you're always going to keep going west. It's, you know, they're not going to collide. If you go as far as the north is from the south, it seems as though your sins are going to meet you face to face at some point in that terminology. But the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, that means they're never going to come back. They're never going to be in my face again. And the Lord put all of this in here when he's saying, look at your royalty. These are the royal blessings. These are the benefits my children have. This is what you have as being a part of my family. You never knew how much I loved you before I even made the world. I knew all about your life and who you are. And I am committed in this relationship. Let's look at a couple more. So he redeemed us through his blood, and he forgave us according to his grace. But look at verse 8. When we're going through this life and we have all of that, we need help. And in verse 8 it says, He made us to abound, uh, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom, in prudence, or understanding. In other words, another benefit is he makes all wisdom and understanding abound towards us. So what happens? Let's just take a moment and just bring the application for a second. You're having a very difficult time. You're feeling rejected by other people. You're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Yes, you know you're saved. You're not worried about that. But you're wondering, does God really love me? I mean, the things that I thought and said, the things that I've done, does he really love me? I don't think he really loves me right now. I think I need to do such and such to prove my love and to really convince God that I'm worth loving, I'm worth being accepted, I'm worth being a part of things. I don't feel a part of the church. I don't feel a part of things. So all those things said, we go back to Ephesians and we let the Lord minister to us and we get the truth that can change our perspective. And the truth is, before Genesis 1-1, I was chosen. I was predestined. In other words, it wasn't based on my performance. It's based on God's grace. And he loves me so much that he adopted me. He just doesn't call me a son. He adopted me and he's put my name in the Lamb's book of life. And even though I feel rejected, wait a minute, I'm accepted in the beloved. So the biggest name in this world rejects me. Listen, you're nothing. God accepted me. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm in. And if you continue on and to see, guess what? The enemy comes and says, you think Jesus really saved you? Is he really God? Is he really the Savior? There's other people out there. You say no one is out there that lived a perfect life and shed his blood on the cross for my sins. And he's forgiven every sin of mine. And I'm not certain about what's ahead for me. But I know God has wisdom and he has understanding. And I'm going to seek him right now for his wisdom and understanding. Because in verse 9, it says he's going to make known to us the mysteries of his will. How? It's according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. The problem many times, brothers and sisters, is we haven't gone back to Ephesians 1 very often. We're going to a lot of different wells to find maybe the help we're looking for. But this is where we need to be. And we see this wisdom and we see the mystery of his will. God, what do you want? How do you want to lead? 
And God's going to bring us back to this abiding relation. And our relation with him will grow, grow stronger. And as we're in there, in that relationship with him, as he affirms his love, he'll lead us on that path. Many times we put so much effort in wanting to know the mystery of the will. And he's saying, no, I want you to come back and just learn the mystery of me, who I am, and the great mystery of why I love you so much. And as we're back in there, he'll unfold these other things to us. There's just a couple of more. He gathers us together in verse 10, like what? Like a family that we might come together as one. So what he's saying is, you look at all the things in this world, you can look at the celebrity pages, you can see the lives that are out there, lives that are wrecked, and we have the truth, and we can help people come to this relationship with God, personal forgiveness, you can have an inheritance for the future, but we come together in verse 10, and we're one in the body of Christ. This is the greatest miracle, to think of all the backgrounds that we have, all the uniqueness of our lives, and he brings us together as one. And yet we're still uniquely different, but we're one because we're one in Christ. And then in verse 11, you think that's good for right now. He just says, you've obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purposes of him. Again, it's all him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who trusted first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In other words, this inheritance that we have In Christ Jesus. It's taken care of. This inheritance, this eternal life that we have, it's given, it's provided for us. So when Joyce takes her last breath here on earth, she's in heaven. She's in the presence of the Lord. Fullness of joy forevermore. No problems, no struggle, no pain, no suffering. It's the greatness and the glory of God. To be able to hear his words as we've read his words, but you actually get to hear him speak. Well done, good and faithful servant of the Lord. Way to stay strong to the end. Welcome. Join your brothers and sisters. That's the inheritance. It's done. You don't have to worry. Well, well, maybe he'll like X me out of the will. You won't. It's in the Lamb's book of life. You're in. Amen. And then just to make sure, just so that you're totally sure, because your, your emotions, your mind, your carnality, it can wrestle with this. In verse 13, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, here it is, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What he's saying is, how do you know you're saved? And he goes, great. I knew people would ask that question. Therefore, the Holy Spirit's going to live inside of you. Really? How do I know the Holy Spirit's living inside of me? You go to the x-ray machine, and you let him take a picture, and you see the Calvary dove, and you know it's in. I got the Holy Spirit. He says, no, it's actually the incredible love of Christ. You've never been loved this way before in your life, and the love that comes from your life, the fruit of the Spirit love, It just abounds in ways that it's obvious to you and it's obvious to others. And he says, this is the seal. It's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is there. And it's a guarantee if, in fact, that is true. So if, in fact, you ask Christ for forgiveness of sins, if, in fact, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, if, in fact, you know it, you feel it, you experience it, you believe it, you know that there's this new love, you know you've been forgiven, you know the Holy Spirit sealed 
in your heart, you know that to be true. Amen? Then you know, go all the way back up the list, then you know all the rest is true as well. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we do thank you for tonight and just the study and understanding, Lord, the blessings that we have in you. And I pray, God, that you would help us in our walk to put these deep within our own heart and mind, to go back to this list and just to look at these 12 things that are listed and to say, yes, that's my God. That's my Savior. That's the relationship. That's my life. That's my future. And to be able to understand at the end of Ephesians, we're going to learn how to fight the spiritual battles, but we're getting the truth up front. So it'll help us in those battles. Help us put this truth deep within our hearts and minds. Help us to share this truth with others, other believers that are, that are struggling. Give us confidence that we can share the gospel with anyone, anywhere, anytime, as you've prepared the opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen.